Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Leafs Guy, episode number 54. Thank you, Mike Ross, for that fine introduction. Gus Katsaros is our guest today from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Interesting conversation. I'll explain shortly. But first, football's right around the corner. Get in on all the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Place a bet of $1 or more more in any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not available in your area, DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. And for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a shot at $1 million as the top prize. Nothing adds to the excitement of watching a game quite like having a free shot at a million-dollar top prize. Oh, that's a yes guy. Here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code THPN. What is it? THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game and get a free shot at a million-dollar top prize with your first deposit. What is the promo code? It's THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for complete details. All right, to the hockey story. This is an interesting conversation where we sort of track the theory behind leaf trades from the past and end up with a new theory on a way to future success. I think you'll enjoy it. Here is the conversation with Gus Katsaros from McKean's Hockey and NBC Sports Edge. Okay, guys, so a lot of these deals that we're going to talk about that Kyle Dubas has made since Lou departed, Lou Lamarello departed, are based on, are motivated by creating cap space, uh, which you could then argue, so 
be signing the guys to these contracts anyway. And it really is, it, it's just, it, it's the price of doing business. But I, I don't know that they, they ran out and, and robbed the Brinks truck to sign these guys. They, they were all signed at market value. And because they then added the top end salaries, the very, the very heavy salaries, all of a sudden when it came time for renewal or you got close to renewal a year or two away, you decided that you had to move these out to, to create flexibility, right? Yeah, that's correct. There's probably a few that we can kind of pinpoint on, but I think one of the biggest one that had the uh, the ramifications for contract plus personnel is probably Nazem Kadri moving on to Colorado. Um, right. Bringing back Alex Kerfoot, who is still a member of the Leafs, um, even with all the, the stuff that was kind of discussed over the course of the offseason during the expansion, that he might be the player that they choose, uh, picking Jared McCann and, and all those shenanigans. And I use that word kind of lightly um, in order to kind of get through the expansion draft so that they can kind of come out with the roster that they expected intact. Um, so Nazem Kadri moving. Um, brings in Kerfoot and it brings out Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry shows kind of what Toronto really needs on the back end and kind of provides a bit of a blueprint for that. Um, clearly unable to bring in the type of contract that they um, that he would have been signed at, plus the fact that the optics here, um, they've kind of moved away from that and kind of went to the TJ Brody side, elevated Justin Hall. So while that one trade in isolation doesn't necessarily make much of a splash it kind of seems like they're getting away from Kadri because of all the suspensions um, and all the off-ice stuff um, I think in the end we saw a direct correlation to whatever is in the roster right now specifically with Kerfoot and how they've moved on from Tyson Berry in order to replace him with a specific player Okay, so here's where it gets confusing. If, if you take all of what you said there, and I'm not disputing what you're saying, but, but the original uh, explanation was uh, you're moving Kadri out, uh, bringing back a, a center who's not the same, um, and you're doing an experiment with, with Tyson Berry. But, but in effect, what you are doing, if you replace TJ Brody, well, if you move TJ Brody into Tyson Berry's spot and he's signed, that's $5 million. Kerfoot is 3.5. You moved out 4.5 and you added 8.5. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense financially. It's better for the team. But that whole explanation about we have to do this as a preventive strike to, to create some cap space doesn't really wash, does it? It doesn't. I mean, the, there was more strategical elements, I think, to than just cap space. There are some elements of cap space, but they were going to have to do something with Tyson Berry. And that particular deal gave the Leafs the opportunity to see what their defense would be like if they added more mobility. And I think that's one of the reasons why they elevated Justin Hall. They felt that they can provide um, some of the elements that Barry provided offensively while not being a as big a defensive liability. So there's a strategic element above and beyond just cap space. So what that eventually did was it ate up $5 million more cap space by bringing in TJ Brody. But if they hadn't experimented and seeing just how much more support they needed defensively, TJ Brody may not necessarily be a Toronto Maple Leaf right now. So while the and I know that we're just kind of focusing on this one one trade, but it had a lot of peripheral movement that affected the current roster today. So they can make the excuses about being cap space, but there were strategical and tactical elements along with um, the players that they brought back from Colorado that affected the roster as it is today. Yeah, this is this is a full look. So it's not just the headline. The headline uh, for the cadre trade was aside from the suspensions in the playoff series 
and there's more than one against Boston, which is a liability. There's also the, the talk about, you know, the cap space that it would create. Well, that's not quite true at all. And in, in fact, they added more. Uh, and, and so I'm, I'm going to boil this down to a, a yes guy, no guy. Uh, the trade of Kadri eventually turns into Kerfoot and TJ Brody. This trade is a yes guy or a no guy. It's definitely a yes guy. They were much better for making that than they were if they were not to make that. Yeah, and the key element is most people look at this because Tyson Berry is long gone as Kerfoot for Kadri, not the same player. Correct, but TJ Brody replaces Tyson Berry in this movie, and, and so you have to look at it that way. That's correct. There's always a peripheral or at least a chain of events that happens from one particular trade. I mean, we could even build a, a, a tree similar to that, at least from the importance of that with Jake Muzzin. Jake Muzzin was right. just as integral a defensive part. And again, another deal that, that Dubas made, um, not just because of need and necessity, but there was a bit of cost certainty. It was an expensive trade to make, uh, but it really brought in the stability that the Leafs were really needing on, on uh, the blue line. That defensive element really did not exist before Jake Muzzin got here. Um, and it allowed for the Leafs, again, to kind of look at the opportunities of bringing in a Tyson Berry by moving Nazem Kadri once they had that solid defensive element set. Without that trade, I'm not sure that the Nazem Kadri deal gets done. Well, and, and you know, I think you brought up an excellent point. So when people are doing the uh, the, the review of Kyle Dubas's tenure, uh, you have to look at what he's done with the blue line. Now go back several years ago to Boston and Toronto in the playoffs and the right side of that blue line was totally exploitable. In fact, that's what the Bruins did. They, they entered on, on the Leafs on their left side, but the Leafs right side, that, that right side was, was so weak. Uh, it had to be repaired. Tyson Berry wasn't the answer, but you tried and then you moved on to TJ Brody. Now, when you look at the right side of that blue line, it's pretty darn good. So, I mean, there are, there were some leaks here. It's not all, you know, we, we concentrate on the left side up front, but really the right side of that blue line, it was important to repair. And he did a good job on that. So there was a little bit of an experimentation in that regard too. And it kind of brings us to our next deal, um, which was how they kind of moved Zaitsev, Kali Rosen, uh, sorry, uh, Zaitsev and who were Connor, the other Brown. Connor Brown to Ottawa in order yeah. to get rid of those contracts. Connor Brown was going to be an expensive um, signing after that um, and just brought in spare parts. So Cody Cece becomes a spare part. They use him for a year. He moves on. He doesn't become. So some of the deals, and we talked about cap space earlier, it's not just about relieving cap space. It's also moving bad contracts off of your roster so that you're able to bring in players that you know will be much more beneficial currently and for the future. That one trade with Ottawa, I think, signaled a big shift um, in where Toronto wanted to be defensively, especially with Zaitsev, because he played a lot and he was really a key component for uh, Mike Babcock, but he just didn't seem to fit whatever um, Toronto was trying to do moving forward. So I can understand why they did that. The savings that they got weren't any savings. The savings that they got was the fact that they can kind of add by subtracting and those two players while Connor Brown could really have been a key component last year in the playoffs. I mean, that's one of the things that they've been trying to uh, figure out ever since they moved him moving Zaitsev. What I think was the important part here because you just couldn't build a blue line having Zaitsev playing such important minutes. Okay. So th this really speaks to what I call a, a bit of a flaw in, in the leaf system. Um, and, and, it, and it goes like this. When you sign 
older players to entry-level contracts, and you don't have the three-year grace period because they're older, you have one or two years, uh, and then they come out of that entry contract, and, and you don't really have enough of a sample size, especially for a defenseman. You have to pay them what the market value is, and that was the Zaitsev problem, and this is why I'm not a big fan of, of signing older players to entry-level contracts because you have to ante up, and the market dictates that you go from – you know, 1.5 or whatever that entry level is. Uh, I guess it's uh, it's what is it nine something with with the uh, bonus money, 850 sure. with bonus money. But you can bonus laden uh, that contract we saw with Kotkaniemi with Montreal that that he had 2.5 million in bonus money. He never made it, but it's there. So so you've got that 850 plus 2.5 for him, and it turned out to be 925 is what he made. But but in the Zaitsev case and and um, other older players that are signed to entry level contracts, you come out at the 850 plus bonuses. Which, which they can earn, and then all of a sudden you go into a base of 4, 4.5, like that. And, and I, th- I just think that, that, especially for a defenseman, that sample size is way too short to be doing that. Yeah, it's also part of the experiment that Toronto's been trying to do by bringing in players from Europe. So it's not necessarily a drafting element, but somebody that might be a bit more established and can kind of jump into the uh, the lineup and provide immediate well, return. Well, you would think, but they have to learn the game. And, and I think that's part of what happens with Mikheyev, right? So there, it's interesting that you mention that because I think for the most part, these players that are playing at the high level in the KHL can come into an NHL roster and participate. So that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be stars and they're going to be relied upon heavily. So that's kind of where Zaitsev should have been. He should have been a depth component, right? supplementing the defense rather than being a prime component that they're throwing out and saying, you're now going to be a number one, a number two, second pairing, whatever the case is. So now going back to your comment, if you used him properly, or at least slotted Zaitsev properly into a proper rebuilding team, he would have been slotted much lower his contract wouldn't have been as bad as it was when they gave it out. And they wouldn't have needed to make this kind of a move to move that contract out. So part of that has to do with Lula Morello. Part of that has to do with Kyle Dubas. Um, It's just one of those elements where they misguided the player in their own roster to the degree that they had to overpay him because they had no other option. And then they had to move away from that contract and then fill that spot once again. And then you get the Kadri deal, you have the Barry deal, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of moves on into that direction. So that initial, I would say the vision of Kyle Dubas, once Lou Lamorello moved out of Toronto, started to take effect. A lot of the decisions that were made afterwards were not just cap space related, but trying to put a player in a particular spot that they would be able to excel in. Justin Hall is a great example of that. I yeah. still don't believe Hall is a, a, a second pairing defenseman in today's NHL. But when you don't have any other option, that's the player that you put in there. So if Hull starts to excel now too, now he's a bit of a different situation because he's not necessarily an older player um, looking for an entry-level contract, but they're slotting these players incorrectly. And they're doing that because of the way that they've structured their cap. And I'm not going to comment as to whether or not they're doing the right or wrong thing, but it's inevitable. You see the offseason, the way that Dubas brought in a whole bunch of depth players, nothing really substantial enough to say we did a roster makeover. Um, and now they're expecting to get better results moving forward. So it's it's kind of a, a, a difficult situation when you kind of see a whole bunch of these bad contracts given so much credence to players that should not have been in that situation in the first place and giving away Connor Brown. I say giving away Connor Brown because 
he could have been a valuable, more valuable component than Alex Kerfoot was in last year's playoffs. He would have brought that gritty side and he would have made Zach Hyman's removal a little less bearable as well because he could kind of step into that kind of a role. Doesn't have to be the exact same player, but they are so similarly in terms of skill set that you would have automatically had a solution and not worried about moving away from Zach Hyman. So there's there's down the road repercussions that the management probably didn't anticipate, but they had no choice but to make these kind of moves because they were either caught in a cap situation or needed another player in a different situation. Well, and when we talk about Lou, uh, you know, transitioning into Kyle, uh, Lou's mandate was to get the ship headed in the right direction. And and that's where the, uh, the signing the older player to an entry-level contract makes a lot of sense, but there's a point there where it doesn't make any sense at all. And, and that really is right at the transition. So I, I agree with that. Uh, the Connor Brown thing, I just like to go back to that because he's the easy way to look at uh, what fixes the leaves. But I still go back to, you know, when we talk about the deficiency up front on the left side, we're talking about Zach Hyman, no longer there. We're talking about Connor Brown, who was moved out. But, but this is another flaw in the system for me because, you know, uh, Zach Hyman was acquired in a trade. Uh, Connor Brown was a draft pick. I, I don't see that the organization drafted wisely in that they didn't, they weren't looking to replace or replenish their their left side in a working class manner. Uh, Nick Robertson is not a working class forward. He's a high end player. I, I don't see enough of those guys in the Leafs system at any point over the last three or four years, or even even going back further. The drafting is is what's hurting them now. So there's there's a lot to unravel there, like a lot, a lot to unravel. But I'm kind of under the impression that when you're drafting, especially especially in more depth positions, I think it's more valuable as far as an asset is concerned to get an asset that might have more trade value into the future rather than drafting for a need that that player may never develop into. So let's use Connor Brown. Connor Brown was a, a, a prolific scorer in junior. He had a bad defensive element, but you looked in, and as he developed in the pro ranks, that defensive element wasn't really that bad. In fact, his work ethic and the way that he structured his play, he developed into the player that Connor Brown is today. So Nick Robertson, they expected him to be the type of player that he is today. So you're right. They're not drafting for position. They're not drafting for a need. They're drafting to try to get a tradable asset into the future or somebody that can kind of come into the lineup now with a skilled mindset or I should say with a skilled um, toolbox. Right. So chances are they're going to continue along this route and start dra- and keep drafting the Robertsons to the detriment of the Connor Browns under the impression that you're able to go out and get a bunch of these depth players that could provide that gritty defensive element. But then you kind of look at it and you see Blake Coleman. He was a cheap acquisition by Tampa Bay, and he signed for an exorbitant amount and term in Calgary. So these players aren't necessarily cheap. It's not like they can go out and replace and, 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 and find the next Zach Hyman. You either have to do that internally, and they don't seem to have that um, mentality, and I'm okay with that because you swing for the fences when you're drafting, um, but you need to do better player acquisition. So if you can't get it through the draft, then you better be able to get it cheaply, affordably, um, or some other acquisition method. I know Toronto's kind of trying to look through Europe to do that. Um, above and beyond, so I said we had Mikko Letnin and Alex Barabanov. So there are other options outside of the NHL 
but they're not necessarily bringing in and there's no control over any of those elements. So if they do need to bring in another Connor Brown, they have to pay for that. They're not going to draft it. They're not going to develop it. They're just going to end up paying for those depth players that make such a big difference, especially as after what we saw in the playoffs last year. You don't get by with just skilled players. You need to have structure, gritty elements, and players that are committed to being physical at times when required. They're not going to get that from their draft records. Okay, so let me throw this theory at you. Uh, in effect, I think they've already done that. Uh, and and I'm going to go back to what, what happened earlier this summer with free agent frenzy. So let's look at bunting, uh, 950 for two years. Uh, Kashe, uh, one year at uh, 1.25. Kemp, two years at 1.5 apiece. Uh, Richie, 2.5 for two years. Uh, and these are the guys that they added. Uh, and, and this would sort of fulfill what we're talking about in terms of, um, you know, adding controllable or, or workable numbers. Now, I'm not going to suggest to you that all of those names I rhymed off stay. Uh, I think, and if they don't, that's fine. I think you you do this every year where you're bringing in four or five guys on, on workable contracts. One of them turns into Zach Hyman. I mean, Zach Hyman didn't start out as Zach Hyman. He, he was a, an evolution process, as is Connor Brown in, in Ottawa. So I, I think you're looking for those guys. And at some point, yeah, they're going to they're gonna ask for big money. But you're, you're supposed to get good value out of them while they're earning that or, or evolving. And I think they've done that. Would you agree with that? To a degree, absolutely. I think that the other investment that they've also made too are into guys like Daryl Belfry, who is actually a skilled development coach. I mean, Zach Hyman is not the player he is today without going through the developmental cycle with Toronto. He wasn't the skilled player that he seemed to have been over the last couple of seasons. He developed into that. Yes. It's one of those 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 really odd situations where you had a uh, a more depth, gritty player that developed skills as they kind of went along. So to Toronto's benefit, it's not just the on-ice component. They do have elements in the background that are that are working in order to help upskill any player that requires that. Barb Underhill with the skating. There's there's tons of examples that we can see off the ice. So while you do and you go and acquire a player, they, uh, Andre Cash is actually a great example. So let's kind of hit on that. Yeah. Um, defensively, he was absolutely responsible and could have been one of the bigger elements for Boston had he stayed healthy. And health is the issue here with Cash. So if he's able to find that skilled game that made him such a valuable asset in Anaheim, add the defensive component that he's kind of developed into um, over the course of the last couple of seasons, health being the only question, he could be that one player that becomes Zach Hyman light. So in those situations where Toronto has, and we know that they've, uh, committed big money and, and, and all the space to um, those four stars. They have a research and development department in the back that is constantly looking for those replacement level players where they can go out and sign a Jason Spezza because they know Spezza will get X on the market. We can give him X on the market, provide him with some support, et cetera, et cetera. Spezza happened to do a bunch of stuff on his own, but he's just that one example. So now you go with David Kampf, who has phenomenal analytics. So from the perspective of where he was slotted in Chicago, he should have performed better. So now Toronto puts him in a position where he's potentially better to succeed, giving him a distinct role. And now if they have any deficiencies from the on ice, they can kind of address that with all the off ice acquisitions. So there's a, there's a mechanism in place to be able to bring in all these replacement level players, all these depth players, and then provide an element for them to be able to upgrade their skill level, whether that's a specific skill, a combination of skills, 
because scouting is kind of about a combination of skills. It's not one individual thing. If they can pinpoint things that make players successful and really hammer those elements, that's kind of what Daryl Belfry does. Then Toronto gets more serviceable players into the future. And I don't think that you're going to get a bunch of depth players that you're going to see with big contracts in Toronto. The roster turnover is going to be consistent. We're going to see this almost on a daily, yeah. on an annual basis. And that's fine as long as they've done their homework in the background, done their research, and know that they can work with these players. Toronto's in that cap in this cap situation because they've put themselves into this cap situation. And if they didn't have a plan to work through this, it would have just been all hell. But seeing what happened in the off season, it shows that they do have something in the background that's working to be able to replenish some of these depth roles. Now we can sit here and debate whether or not that's the right way to do things or the wrong way, or, or whether or not they're even gonna get out of the first round of the playoffs. Like the, there's a ton of different factors right. here, but there is a method to the madness that we may not necessarily be privy to on the front lines. Well, Gus, I mean, I enjoy these conversations because it, it opens your mind. So so here's what I've come up with out, out of the uh, – we've done this for 20 minutes now. Uh, the analysis uh, for the Leafs is sort of one-dimensional in that you've got the four guys that are soaking up all the money, and, and, and uh, then all of a sudden, you know, the sky is falling. Okay, that's relevant. But what's happened here is uh, it's the, the problem is created by the flat cap. Uh, one of the uh, side effects of the flat cap, which is new this year, is player or teams walking away from RFAs? Uh, there's three of them on the Leafs. Uh, there's uh, Camp, uh, Kashi, and uh, Richie. We're not qualified, right? One with Chicago, two with Boston, and the Leafs were able to get. That's a new market. That market did not exist before, and it's created because it's a flat cap, and teams have to look at their RFAs and go, "We're not gonna, we're not gonna qualify them." They're out. We have to move on and replenish them with draft picks. That is a new market, and I credit the Leafs for pouncing on that market. They weren't the only one, but it really fits. It's it's sort of a, a good solution to the Leafs' corner. They painted themselves into the corner, and somebody just gave them an exit door. That's actually a very, very good point because – prior to this season, that market essentially was non-existent or you had to give up assets in order. I mean, right. it's not every season you get a Sebastian Ajo or Jesperi Kotkatiniemi uh, situation where you have retaliatory um, offer sheets. Right. So at the same time too, kind of going back to the point of having a Daryl Belfry or somebody that's a development coach and being able to work with these players. The reason why they're not signed is because there's either something missing that this team that did not decide to sign them uh, felt that they weren't able to achieve. If the Leafs are able to kind of fill in that void with some developmental help on the, uh, on the back end, um, it just makes that much that it makes that situation that much easier. So the inefficiency in the market that they're exploiting could potentially be a really big turn in their philosophy if they're able to get a bunch of these restrictive free agents and give them the support and help that they require to become more competent, consistent NHL players. And at the same time, and I'm not saying that this is the outcome, but if they are in a position where they have to move off from one of those top four players, they can bring in players that they can just slot in, even if it's for like a Cody CC temporary one year, just to kind of put a placeholder there until they find a more permanent solution. So there's a lot more opening up for Toronto. The flat cap probably um, ignited the conversations that put them on the path to this. Um, but it's a lot of the work that they've done off ice that allows them to be able to, uh, to exploit this type of a market inefficiency in the first place. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, those names that I rhymed off earlier, there's no guarantee that 
any of them work out. I, I've always been a fan of if you have five names and two stick to the wall, that's pretty good shooting. I, yeah. I like that. But the point that comes out of all this is, is um, this flat cap is going to be around for two or three years, which means that um, non-qualified RFA market's going to bring around for two or three years. And, and for Leaf fans, it is the ultimate piece of good timing. Yeah, they, they kind of got lucky in that regard. But I'm not really sure whether or not that was something that they planned for it for it just kind of happened. I mean, nobody really looked at COVID and, and, and thought that it was going to have that kind of an effect. Um, and I, I, it's hard to kind of change the philosophy that you've kind of moved into and then pivoted. At the same time, too, a good organization understands the landscape. And if they do need to make a quick shift, they are able to be in a position to 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 take advantage of that. Again, going back to all the off-ice developments that Toronto has offered um, and being able to give their assets something that they can kind of build on. Um, all the players that you also mentioned too, <clears throat> uh, Michael Bunting has a more offensive potential. There could be something there. Maybe there isn't. But as a depth play for a couple of years, even if you have to move into the minors and lose them in waivers or whatever the case is, it's a valuable gamble. Um, but it's players like, like Nick Ritchie. Like Nick Ritchie is one of those players that you know can have a better impact than um, than what he's slated to bring. Right. So what happens when he comes up for re-signing then? Now you have to make another decision. Do you have to replace him? Is there a player in the RFA market or in the unfurched restricted market that can jump in there? If they can develop that in, internally, and now we got to go back to their draft, and their draft has to be able to kind of churn out players on a very consistent basis just from the economics of it, or you go out and you exploit the RFA market where they can't sign, uh, where players are not signed by their teams, or you get secondary unrestricted free agents because that's what they are. They're secondary. They're all right. unrestricted for a reason, right? Yeah. It's not like they're vital and key components to the teams that allowed them to go. Certain situations don't necessarily mean that because like the Gabriel Landeskog situation where he decided to, to look but then resign back in Colorado. So there's a, a lot of those depth plays are going to be really important to Toronto if they're able to work with them. Last minute of play in this podcast. Thank you, Mike Ross. That means we're on a limited time budget now, so let's play a quick version of Yes Guy, No Guy. The lease will benefit from the new RFA market we just identified in our conversation with Gus. Oh, that's an emphatic yes guy. This is like free shopping. Now, these are not top-end players, but Zach Hyman was not when he arrived in the Leafs. I like the Leafs' chances here, and this could go on for a couple of years. The Leafs' blue line is in good shape. Yes guy, no guy. Well, that's a tough one. Right now, yes guy. A year from now, maybe no guy, but we're living in the now, so it gets a yes guy. And yes guy, no guy, even though it's early September, you have been infected with leaf optimism. I'm going to say yes guy. I can't wait for training camp to open. This is a yes guy. I know it's a bit of a roll of the dice season for the Leafs, and maybe it's more than a bit of, but I'm going to go with yes guy. I like to see a developing story, things happening right in front of you. So yes guy, yes guy, yes guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 54 of Leafs Guy. Hope you come back next week for episode 55.